Uh, folks, hear me because I'm not hearing through the headphones. Let's see. One second. Stay with me, people. Don't go away. I got to plug back in. <laughs> Sorry about that. There we go. Sometimes the technology gets to me. I stepped on the cord and pulled off the plug, which is why I didn't even know I was on the air. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're going to have a national roundtable in this next hour. And looking forward to you joining us here at 410-319-8888. Write to us here at talk at by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, you can also log on to our Facebook pages, but do join in, 410-319-8888. Joining me in studio is Dr. Matthew Crenson, uh, who is a professor emeritus of, at the Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University, who's just written a new incredible history of Baltimore called... Oh. Baltimore political history. It's hard for me to remember. <laughs> I'm in the middle of reading it now so we can do an interview on, on that book alone. Um, it's an incredible history of the city. I just... Well, thank you. Really, it's just amazing the work you did in that book. So you will not read it in one night. Let me tell you that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't written in one night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure not. And Dr. Carsonia Wise Whitehead is with us. Kay Whitehead, of course, Associate Professor of Communication and African and African American Studies at Loyola University, Maryland. An op-ed contributor to the Baltimore Sun. Her latest op-ed was really fascinating uh, about faith in this 4th of July in this country we're living in. As author of numerous books, including Letters to My Black Sons, Raising Boys, and A Post-Racial America, as well as, of course, being a guest host and co-host here on the Mark Steiner Show. And Kay, welcome. Good to have you with us. As always, thank you so much, Mark. Always good to have your voice in the air. So, um, <laughs> and y'all, four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. So let's begin. Who knows where to begin? You know, I get so tired of just talking about Donald Trump. Oh. But how can you not? <laughs> so, two things to that. I mean, so we will talk about these tweeting episode here. But then I want to talk about what happens when we focus on these tweets. And the distraction and instability of this presidency and not recognizing what's happening under our nose as things as this is going on. So you have him tweeting, taking on the host, uh, the co-host, the MSNBC morning show. And for some pretty kind of uh, really boorish, vile kind of things he said. And then reposting him slamming right. um, uh, it, it, somebody down at the Vince McMahon. Instead of Vince McMahon, it was a right. CNN logo put on his face. I mean, this is, it's unseemly. It's unseemly, but it plays to his base. Uh, the people who don't trust the media, except maybe for Fox News, uh, who love to see him uh, bashing people they regard as representatives of the left. But what really worries me right now is, and what not many people are paying much attention to, is what he's done to our foreign policy. Um, he's created chaos in the Middle East with his statements on Qatar. Uh, we're alienating our allies in Europe. Uh, we have no way to deal with North Korea. Uh, and it appears that Vladimir Putin is, uh, is uh, playing him uh, all over the place. Sort of on the fringe of politics, but this could have really disastrous consequences down the road. Okay. What I think is interesting is that it's, in addition to being offensive, it's vile, it's behavior that's almost unseemly for a president, although when you start to compare him against Nixon's actions, Clinton's actions, or Lewinsky, I'm not sure what we mean about unseemly. Um, but it's also really fascinating mm -hmm. the ways in which tweeting and Twitter and Facebook, all of this social media has now found a permanent place in the way in which we conduct political business. I mean, it used to be an aside where you would go on to Twitter or go on to Facebook to rant about the president, to rant about the campaign, to rant within your circle of friends about what's happening on the political spectrum. Now that the president is such a major part and contributor to Twitter, it has really risen in terms of relevancy, in terms of a place that people are looking to for actual news, and it's also changed the ways in which we see the president. There's something about social media that brings a person into your living room, and we've never actually had a president in our living room in the way in which we have <laughs> Yeah, he's talking immediately to us rather than through yes. uh, the press or television. Uh, and it does have a, a kind of impact. But there's, there's also something else that goes with it. Of course, many people have noticed this. Uh, when you use social media, there's no editor. There's no fact-checking. No. You can put anything up there you want. And that, of course, gives rise to what our president has called fake news. Uh, there's a lot of fake news out there as a result of this. 
And then this notion of cyberbullying, if I could just jump in and say this mm-hmm. one last thing, which I, I think is fascinating. One, of course, is that his wife's, you know, her major campaign is cyberbullying, and that the biggest cyberbullying person at this moment is coming out of the Oval Office with the strength of the Oval Office behind him, with the spotlight of the entire world on him. He is using that Twitter to really push people and back them into a corner. How do you defend yourself against the Oval Office, which comes in a lot of people's eyes with this semblance of being actual reality, actual real news. Very few people used to question news coming out of the White House in ways that we're beginning to critique and question now. I think what Donald Trump has done in so many ways, he has really turned over this this air of of distance between us and the president. He has reduced that distance. And I'm not sure if it's ever going to get back to that. And I'm not even sure if that was a good thing. But now that Trump is someone who's at our kitchen table, it feels like we can say and do things that maybe previously we kind of stopped ourselves from doing, or we kept it to our own living rooms rather than putting it into the public sphere in the ways in which we're doing now. It's also important, I think, to remember, although there is a certain immediacy about the Trump presidency uh, that makes it qualitatively different from anything that's gone before, is that he's a product of longstanding trends and, and carries them forward. For example, if you look at surveys going back to the 1960s, uh, trust in government, respect for government, is at yeah. it, about its lowest point it's ever been, and because Trump is not going to help that. Also, uh, for example, the Pew Center has been doing surveys since 1986 looking at polarization between the two parties. Uh, that's about as bad as it's ever been, too, right. since they started taking these surveys. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a political scientist named Keith Poole who's looked at congressional voting records back as far as 1877, the end of Reconstruction. He finds that the parties in Congress are more split, more polarized, or as polarized yeah. now as they have been at any time in the last 140 years. We got Trump because the time was right for a Trump. Uh, he is an expression of all those trends. Contempt for government, polarization. Uh, that's what we're getting now. So, I mean, it seems that there's also this kind of chaos theory that it was a New York Times editorial mm-hmm. this weekend just about yeah. um, uh, when you have the unstableness of our country and people being so unsure about what to do with their lives trickles down from the White House. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you have a leader, um, and this is not the, the, the great leader theory of history because mm-hmm. history is more complex than that. Um, it's not a linear question, but I mean, but I think that, that, that when you have this kind of chaos in a White House, internally in this White House, not hiring uh, people to fill certain positions, uh, contradictory messages coming out, the tweets uh, that really are kind of very personally attacking many people. I mean, this causes an instability in the entire nation. And I think, and so that's why we're so focused on this. Yeah. On this, it, on this man. Right, and I think Kate's point is, is good. Uh, one of the reasons why it has this impact is because this is personal. Uh, this is closer to us than the president's ever been. It's immediate. And so it it has an effect on our, our private lives, uh, on the way we look uh, at our communities, our neighbors. Um, it, it, it's really affecting our outlook, I think, more than any president in the past. What's interesting um, is the ways in which people used to view the office of the presidency, something that you just talked about, Mark, as being this stable presence. I was thinking about this this weekend as I was reading the New York Times, thinking about, you know, Franklin Roosevelt doing the fireside chat. Mm-hmm. People listened to hear that this air of stability, mm-hmm. of security, of knowing that the White House has a plan for where we're moving forward. I think about Kennedy and Johnson doing the civil rights movement, that people would then look to see the president on television who would typically be dressed in a sweater as if I'm one of you and trying to calm you down. I think about Bush after 9-11 mm-hmm. and that that powerful you know, force that people felt that, okay, he's going to make sure that we are protected. And then I look at Trump, right? And the fact that he seems to be so unstable. He seems to be driven by just quick attitudes and quick anger. And that is how the public is now responding, that when people get upset and they're online, there's no longer, I'm upset at your words, and I'm going to boycott your words. They immediately move to an era of violence, where they are you know, putting out threats to rape female colleagues who are saying things they don't like, or talking about threatening to kill academics who are publishing things they don't like, that we've moved away from just boycotting words to now threatening violence immediately. 
and this air of I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want, in my opinion, is stemming straight from the White House, straight down yeah. into people's hearts and minds. Yeah, it, 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 it is hard, I think, uh, although he is a president. Trump, Trump is really a kind of anarchist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're going to see him part of the black bloc now running through the streets? <laughs> it's, the, it's the next step. <laughs> An anarchist, okay, we're not in the classic sense. Not in the cla- no, but, but he ha- has no re- has no respect for order, right? Uh, yeah. Something that we all we, we we tend to minimize its value in the United States, but something we all need in our lives. And I think that people are becoming increasingly insecure, not just in in the political sphere, but but in their personal lives as well. But it seems one of the things we, we okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to add just one little tweak. To sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I think that he's an adolescent. Anarchist, right? Because when I think about an adolescence, I think about adolescents acting very quickly on emotion, Mm -hmm. saying whatever comes to mind. I think of adolescents, I'm raising teenage boys, slamming doors, stomping off, saying things they're going to regret, having no filter, having no regard for what's going to happen down the road. Yes, I would agree he's an an adolescent anarchist, Mm -hmm. where he does not realize that the power that he's playing with can potentially put millions of lives at risk. And that we're so focused on the tweet that we're forgetting what's happening with health care, with yeah. North Korea, with China, that we're so focused on him and, and the morning Joe mm-hmm. that we're not even thinking about the fact that people are at risk of losing health care. We're talking about the fact that people's lives are actually going to be in danger in ways that adolescents would never think about. Yeah, and they also there's a kind of disregard for the future, uh, focus yeah. on the, the, uh, the present, the immediate moment, uh, and no time perspective. Which is, what twi- which is what teenagers do, right? Yep. They don't think mm-hmm. about the future. It's how do I feel at this moment? I am pissed at 2 a.m. in the morning, so I'm going to tweet out that I'm angry at 2 a.m., something I might regret at 6 a.m. if anyone tells me I should regret mm-hmm. it. That's why adolescents anarchists. So let me open the phone to you and see what folks think. Then I'm going to kind of raise some other issues here that are swirling around um, us that we don't pay as much attention to because we're paying so much attention to the tweets and the chaos from outside, inside the White House. Mm-hmm. 410-319-8888 is the number here. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. You can also send me an email to talkatsteinershow.org. Log on to our Facebook pages, but 410-319-8888. And Michael, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Trump has a so paying attention to all his tweets and, and, and his, his actions, you know, it really, we're really focused on that. But what about his sons? What are his sons doing to mm. further his empire? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a, a, a very extravagant shell game with uh, tweet, tweeting as the shells and his sons, the peas, which, which, which is not under any of the shells? We're not looking at any of that, you know. But he is the president, and we do have to watch what he's doing and pay attention to what he's doing. But I think in the end, Trump is for himself, his family and himself, and to hell with the rest of us. That's my comment. Mm. Mm. I think that's uh, roughly correct. <laughs> yeah. and, but I think it also represents a, 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 a potential vulnerability in his presidency. Uh, he has all these um, uh, sort of financial uh, enterprises out there. Uh, which may which threaten him with conflicts of interest. Uh, the very fact he's never released his taxes. He's the first uh, president in 40 years who hasn't done that. Right. Um, right. There's all this stuff hanging out there. Uh, he's got another three and a half years to go. Sooner or later, uh, something is going to come out. And then I think he's going to be in very deep trouble. Which means that we're going to be in very deep exactly. trouble. Exactly. Right? Yes. We, it, it, I, I think that. Go ahead. Well, he'll he'll be completely paralyzed as a president. He'll be like uh, Nixon after the, uh, the the release of the tapes. Right, but once he's paralyzed with the way that the president is so deeply involved in our everyday lives, it is going to impact all of us. And yeah. when I was talking earlier about that filter between the White House and, say, my house, there were things that would happen at the White House that wouldn't necessarily impact me having dinner, right? right. I, I would hear about it the next day or, or when President Obama would do, you know, a briefing, but it wouldn't impact me having dinner. This is different now. This is like everything that's happening in the White House is now directly impacting my house. 
because I'm so actively engaged with the presidency in ways I've never been before. Mm -hmm. And I think for many of us, we've never been this actively engaged in the White House, where we are all, I mean, there's some people like myself who are up early mornings on Saturday Mm -hmm. reading Twitter because we want to know what's (laughs) happening in the world because we know that the president has a policy of tweeting out policy. And that's that's exactly what the president likes. Uh, he wants to be at the center of everybody's attention, and uh, on that score, at least, he's winning. He is winning. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. I agree <laughs> that on that score, he is winning. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Alex, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, good morning, Mark. How y'all doing? Very well. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm, I'm a perplexed. Why are we so focused on uh, uh, North Korea getting nuclear weapons? I mean, we got thousands of nuclear weapons. Our nuclear weapons could wipe our North Korea <coughs> off the map, but yet we're so concerned about them having a nuclear weapon. Don't they have a right to have nuclear weapons to defend themselves? Just like we said, we're using nuclear weapons as a deterrent. I think that's what they want them for, as a deterrent, because if they don't get them, we're going to invade their country. We're going to wipe them off the map anyway. So what's the problem with them having nuclear weapons? Well, what is the problem with that? I don't understand it, mm-hmm. and, and there's so much attention being focused on them uh, nuclearizing themselves. They have every right just like we do. And, and mind you, we're the only nation on this earth that's used a nuclear weapon to kill people. Only it, one. And it, we didn't use it on, on, on military installations. We wiped out mm-hmm. civilian populations. And, well, and they're even better than I. Yeah. Mm. You're right about that. Uh, Matthew thank you all very much. No, 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 I'd like to hear y'all's comments about that. Thank sure. you very much. Alex, yeah. thank you so much for your call. You. Appreciate it. Let's talk with Matthew. Well, uh, 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 according to the United Nations, North Korea does not have a right to have nuclear weapons. This is a violation of uh, 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 policies uh, of the United Nations uh, to prevent the proliferation of nuclear weapons. I think the problem with North Korea uh, is that the leadership there um, doesn't seem to want to play the usual, <laughs> the usual deterrent game. Uh, the uh, Kim Jong Un is unpredictable. Um, he's uh, obsessed with preserving his position of power. Most of the people who would threaten him have been killed. Um, and if he's willing to go that far, uh, what what will, what's to refrain to, to stop him from taking some crazy action? I think the the danger that's posed here is that this guy. Is, is as unstable as our leader, maybe worse. <laughs> um, I, I just want to throw something into the mix. There's a wonderful article um, for, your, for your listener in Vox, V-O-X, if you go online, mm-hmm. by Sean Illing, which is a great piece called Five Ways the North Korea Situation Could Spiral Out of Control. Hmm. And he goes through and outlines why it is so dangerous for North Korea to have nuclear weapons at the extent in which they have them. Mm-hmm. Anything from spawning an arms race with Japan to mistakenly believing we're going to attack him and Kim Jong-un attacking us, to, you know, Trump painting himself into a corner that he can't get out of with two unstable leaders with being able to put their hands on the button. But I would ask the listener to to read that piece because it really lays out in more detail than we could cover in this little bit of time why is this a potentially dangerous and life-threatening situation that we're in now and why we should be concerned, not just our government, but why as individuals we should be concerned about this and what we can do. So it's under Vox, V-O-X, and it's Sean Illing, I-L-L-I-N-G, Five ways this North Korea situation. I think think one of the things here to talk a bit about what Alex was saying for a moment, and just to continue for just a second about North Korea, I think the the instability of our relationship Mm -hmm. uh, with North Korea uh, is is frightening. Because anything, what what you were just saying, Kay, Mm -hmm. I have not read this piece yet, but I want to read it. But anything could happen. I mean, it could be. An error. There could be an error. There could yeah. be something that triggers South Korea to respond to North Korea, that mm-hmm. triggers them to respond to South Korea, that creates this conflagration that, that, is, that could be devastating. It, Trump, the way his attitude and the way he does things like what he's done with Qatar and disagreeing mm-hmm. with his own Secretary of State and with other nations, could stumble us into a war. Uh, he has delegated his responsibilities in the military to the military leadership of our country rather than mm-hmm. being the president overseeing the military leadership, which is dangerous for a democracy to start with, but secondarily could stumble us into a war if the wrong person is making a decision right. out of the Pentagon when it comes to North Korea. Um, if you hit North Korea, if we hit North Korea, then most likely what will happen is the primary target becomes South Korea and it could be devastating. 
yeah. to what the attack on South Korea can yeah. be. It can then bring in Japan. They can bring in China. It could mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Right. It can lead to another world war. I exactly. Mean, it really could. It could just be. Now. Right. Yeah. Just in Seoul alone, there it's a population of 10 million people. It could right. be wiped out. Right. Now, I, I, in no way do I put myself forward as an expert on this situation. I just know I've been doing a lot of reading with the Human Rights Watch because I wanted to understand North Korea better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, that was an area for me. I'm like, okay, I know we have all of these tensions with North Korea. I understand historically, but what is going on? And I would really recommend for people to take a look at how the Human Rights Watch frames North Korea as being one of the most repressive authoritarian states in the world in terms of the, you know, the gulags and the forced labor camps and the three generations of punishment. If the government believes you've done something wrong, then you're punished, your child is punished, and your grandchild has to bear the brunt of punishment. But looking at what's happening to the average citizen in North Korea under this repressive authoritarian government should also raise some concern. Except there's not much. Except the problem is, though, and then we can switch gears mm-hmm. here and go after the phones. There's nothing much we can really do yeah, about North Korea. Exactly. No, we can't. You know, it's 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 um, sanctions haven't worked, right? Nope. Um, the, the 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 Chinese have their own kind of um, complex relationship with North Korea. It's not like it was decades past. They're not happy with North Korea as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're actually supplying things that undermine North Korea. At the same time, that right. they are working mm-hmm. economically with North Korea. Um, it's you know, it's it's you, you. Any leader who sits in the White House or anywhere else, has to kind of back off a little bit. I mean, you're watching right now, it's having Japan. Japan is now, um, for the first time, it started actually 10 yeah. years ago, but it's building their own military. Mm-hmm. From yeah. just a self-defense force to a force that's capable of re- moving outside of Japan for the first time since World War II. Um, Japan's not going to sit by and watch this happen either. It's not just about South Korea. That's yeah. why this is yeah. a very complex question, yeah. not mm-hmm. something that, that, you know, and the danger, and of course, Trump has said that now he's going to go it alone, uh, which is uh, especially frightening. Uh, it's not it's clear what that, what what that what options that embraces. And what what does that mean to go it alone against autocracy, yeah. violating human rights and international law? Uh, when you talk about the fact this could spin out of control, that we we don't we can't practice this idea that we are going to go it alone. Isolationism did not work, and it will not work today. So we can't go it alone because anything that happens to one country particularly the United States and North Korea, just put those two in the batch, it is going to affect everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, folks, we're going to take a short break and come right back. Stay with us. Hank, you're the next caller up. We're going to take a look at some stuff we may be missing as well as what's happening with the EPA, the court decisions that came down today that blocked Trump from uh, from from pulling back on, on, the, on the methane rules he wanted to, yeah. to, to get rid of. But what's happening with that uh, and the EPA is something that's also under the radar, so much under the radar because we're so much focused on the Twitter dar <laughs> that is out there. I'll be back with the, my two doctors, Crenson and Whitehead, in just a moment. Don't go away. Welcome back, folks. We're here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community with our National News Roundtable. On the way back, I want to remind you, the Mark Steiner Show and programs like this are brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union. Offering a full, full range of financial services, MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. And remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or at steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. We're here with Dr. Kay Whitehead, Associate Professor of Communication and African and African American Studies at Loyola University of Maryland, uh, op-ed writer for The Sun, co-host here on The Mark Steiner Show, her latest book, Letters to My Black Sons, Raising Boys in a Post-Racial America, and Dr. Matthew Crenson, Professor Emeritus in the Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University. His latest book is Baltimore, A Political History, uh, History Story, Story. It's a story. Story. And it's a really good story. <laughs> and it's, it's a fat, and it really is. I can't wait to interview him for this book uh, before the end of July uh, so you get a chance to hear it on terrestrial radio before we are shoved into the world of podcasts, which we will do. But uh, good to have you all here. 410 319 8888. Write to us here at org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, but do join in. And Hank, we're going to come to your call, but let me just take switch gears for mm-hmm. you for a moment. Then we take Hank's call and the other calls coming in. So there's all these other things that are happening that we're not paying attention to. 
um, the, the, this battle over this insane battle over the over Obamacare, which we can talk about in a moment. Oh my! Um, but if you look at what's happening with the EPA, mm-hmm. and we're not paying enough attention to that. So right now we have uh, they like, I forget which court, but a federal court stopped them from doing away with the methane mm-hmm. uh, capture laws. Uh, that 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 affect mining and oil and right. gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going to let that kind of just run asunder. So, and the same thing with pulling back on safe drinking water uh, and the Clean Water Act. Uh, they're trying to gut that. Uh, they are gutting that. That the fact the EPA is now controlled entirely by people from the industries that were supposed to regulate right. in the first place. And they, That's who they're hiring. And they marginalize so much for getting rid of draining yep. the swamp. <laughs> the swamp has taken over the EPA. <laughs> You know, this is and this is a disaster for our future. And people are not. This is not being, I think, talked about enough in the news because we're spending so much time worrying about Trump's tweets. Yeah, the the amazing thing is how um, the uh, administrative pro can uh, ignore scientific evidence and and scientists. I mean, the scientists have virtually been expelled from the EPA. Um, The evidence of climate change just dismissed out of hand. Uh, we're in a very dangerous position right now. Things could get bad quickly. We're seeing rise in water levels. Uh, Some of the consequences are already coming home. And yet, and this I think is another example of the fake news phenomenon, it's possible for many Americans just to dismiss that because they don't listen to the news sources that happen to convey that information. Well, I think it's interesting to just add to that because I agree. I don't think anything that's happening out of Washington and out of the White House Nothing is happening by happenstance. Mm -hmm. That a great way to continue to roll back things that were put in place for our safety, for our protection. When you think about some of the rules. You there? We lost Uh, Let's give Kay a quick call back. We just lost Kay because she was on a cell phone and uh, we've lost her. We don't want to lose Kay. Let's go to the phones while we get Kay back. Mm -hmm. 410-319-8888. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome. How you doing today, Mr. Sanders? Sorry we lost you, Miss Kay. She'll be right back. We'll get her. Now, here's my thing. I kind of understand what the young man was saying about why not give them a nuclear weapon, right? Here's the thing. If we, are, we don't all have weapons, if we don't all have a nuclear weapon, then we're not all equal, right? So then that means somebody's going to be a vote. Now, if we all have that way, we all have that same capability, now you're a little bit more worried about sticking your finger in the hornet's nest. Right? Because there's a lot of people who really don't want to mess with us now because of Donald Trump in office. So they're not sure as to what he's going to do. Right? So you got to understand that. Why not just get rid of nuclear weapons all together, right? If you're not using nuclear power to power the world, which is a dangerous thing to have, right? Then why even have nuclear proliferation? Right? That's number one. Number two, yes, we need to stop worrying about what Donald Trump is tweeting. We need to come off of Twitter and go back in the real live world, right? And then what our problem is, we're too hooked and connected to social media where we're not paying attention to the politics that we normally pay attention to if we were read the newspaper or something. See, when you sit back and you read certain things, you sit back and you read them methodically, right? When you got it in an ethic, you're still important because you have so much of it. And there is our problem. We're not paying attention to the bombardment of what we're getting of the nonsense that we're losing focus on a little small minute details such as the uh, um, tracking and the water, the water, the water thing with the EPA. And why would we even let him put somebody in the EPA who was trying to stand it from the beginning? So, look, Hank, you always raise really very coaching, mm-hmm. serious thoughts. I appreciate the call. Your response, Matt? Well, yeah, yeah true. The, the Pruitt, as Attorney General of uh, Oklahoma, I believe, uh, sued the EPA at least nine times. Um, and there, uh, it's not just him. Uh, there are a number of people in Trump's cabinet uh, who are clearly uh, hostile to the agencies that they run, uh, uh, like the uh, Secretary of Energy, uh, uh, the former Texas, uh, governor of Texas. Um, so I, I think these people are all over the administration. Uh, and I think the caller is right. Um, it, Trump is playing us. Uh, I think uh, he, he's using his tweets. He, he's not uh, as out of control as he seems to be. Uh, he's using them as a device 
uh, to distract our attention from all the other things that are going on in his administration, the, the, the kinds of things that Mark just talked about. Okay, you're back with us. I am oh, back. Welcome you know, back. I blame Trump for what happened, but I. I <laughs> <laughs> it's the NSA. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> so let's go back. Unless you're going to jump in, Kay, I'm going to run back right to the phones. Yeah, please go back to the phones. That's fine. Thank you. 410 319 Emmanuel, you're on the air. Welcome. How are you doing, Mark? Very well. Good morning. Okay. I just want to say people didn't, don't realize that, you know, President Obama put a lot of good things in place for air protection and quality of life. And somehow or another, I don't know how the foxes got in the hen house, but I think somebody said, I think it was you that mentioned, about the people in his administration that are very, very hostile to anything that stops the money flow for what I consider these, these fascist corporations that are just get money, get money, they, they don't really care what they do to the environment. And you also said that, uh, you know, it's not being talked about. They don't want us to know who's controlling the EPA. That, you know, they don't, you don't never hear the names of these people. But, you know, he did, he did a very great thing. But, you know, I think the Trump administration just seems to want to take his name offer anything that was good and, and, and place it, you know, put their stamp on it and just let it run wild, which, which eventually is going to kill us. I, and I just want to say this one thing. Sure. Now, I, I, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran, okay? I sailed on aircraft carriers. And I want to tell the people of the United States this. You leave out the Mayport, Florida on aircraft carriers, you have to go almost, almost 20 miles out before the water turns blue, okay? And this is a direct indication of the pollution that's coming from the, from the North America continent. Right, yeah. Okay, and I just wish people would, 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 would start listening like more to shows like, like yours, and hopefully there'll be a network somewhere to start put the names of these people you know, that, 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 that are, are, are in these regulatory positions that aren't regulators. They're just part of the people that cause the problem. Yeah. So, so that we can identify this stuff and hopefully right. get them out. Well, let me first say thank you for your service, and I appreciate your, your, your insights, Emmanuel. We had you listening. We had you called in. Yes, I am too. I just want to jump in and say that I think that he has tapped into something it's been bantered about, um, and I think that the person who did the best job with it is looking at Charles Blow's op-ed from June 29th. Yes. But it's all about Trump's Obama obsession. Mm-hmm. And that he argues in this op- op-ed that Trump is so obsessed, not with just wiping away Obama's legacy. He wants Obama removed from the history books. And that even though Trump has acquired you know, capital, you know, monetary capital, he's never achieved cultural capital. And has never achieved the level of respect that people afforded to Obama, that he wants to wipe out every single thing. He came on the scene attacking Obama. He got into office because people were kind of, you know, white lash against Obama. And he's now still very much obsessed with Obama and what Obama stood for, which is what he thinks he can never attain. So your caller is absolutely on the money. It's just what is happening that we all have to pay for his obsession with Obama. It's true. And uh, one of the things that's so appalling about our current circumstances is the contrast between a president who is really a class act uh, and somebody who obviously isn't. Uh, But one problem with Obama's legacy is that since the Republicans took control of Congress in 2010, he was forced to govern uh, not through legislation but through executive orders and regulations. And under the law, uh, Trump can uh, reverse uh, – almost all of those. So uh, Obama's legacy, with the exception of the Affordable Care Act, uh, is vulnerable to executive action. Um, and right, uh, right. that's, what, that, that's uh, why Trump's able to get away with so much. And I look at some of the things that he uh, sent out before he was elected. If anyone remembers back during the time of the Baltimore uprising, mm-hmm. when Trump sent out the tweet, um, it was about, about Trump, about Obama, saying that our great African-American president has exactly had a positive impact on the thugs who are so happily and openly right. destroying Baltimore. 
And he went on to tweet out things like, we won't see another black president for years because he's done such a horrible job. And for generations, you will never have another black man in the White House. That for Trump front and center during that time was not just Obama's presidency, but it was also Obama's black. I think you're right. Because it came through in his tweet. Sean King did a wonderful article that Mm. talked about the fact that people didn't have a problem with the president playing golf. They had a problem with a black president playing golf. It was always the color of his skin that kept coming front and center into Trump's tweets. And I think we can't overstate the fact that this was a problem and still is a problem in the ways in which he's comparing himself in this office. So let me reopen the phone lines here. 410-319-8888. Let's go to uh, see, we'll go to Jeff and then Doc Key. Uh, Jeff, line three, you're on the air. Welcome. So much. I hope this is me talking. Am I the Jeff? This, this is Jeff. Yeah, anyway, you. Uh, Jeff, you're on the air. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, uh, so uh, Obamacare is really a dog whistle take, uh, taking leaving uh, where the last uh, person speaking about uh, uh, all the obstructionism um, and nasty bigotry that uh, was going on around anything that Obama tried to uh, accomplish, including good health care for Americans, which we never got. He would never have chosen uh, Romney care, which is what we should be uh, calling this health care, Affordable Health Care Act, somebody said recently, <laughs> but I heard you say, Mark, a, a curse word, Obamacare. And it should not be called Obamacare. It was never Obamacare. It was Romney Care or Heritage Foundation or Koch Brothers Care or something else. But it was never uh, something that Obama really would have chosen. Well, wait, I, I, I'm, let's talk about that for and, a minute. And, I, and, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure that that's absolutely accurate. I mean, um, uh, it was Romney Care. Um, it was a Republican program that Romney put in effect in Massachusetts, which is very similar to what we call Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. I don't know if you can still hear, but I, I just think it's a dog whistle for all the I, We heard you, heard you, so I'm trying to comment on it. So, yeah. so, so I think that, that the problem is, though, that um, President Obama had the chance to push something harder, um, didn't. So, I mean, you can't put, I mean, it may be a dog whistle, but I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I can see the argument for that. But um, it is the plan that President Barack Obama backed, backed and pushed. It did bring, give many more people health care than had it before. Um, but it has its weak points. Mm-hmm. And some of the weak points that the Republicans attack are not completely incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are some issues here. I think what Obama was tr- trying to do was to push a program they could actually get. And right. in order to do that, he had to deal with private health insurance companies, um, the uh, medical prof- professions. Uh, and so he engaged in prolonged negotiations with these interest groups that right. uh, complicated the act. And I think what he was doing was uh, sort of taking a cue from the experience of Hillary Clinton back at the beginning of the Clinton administration when she tried to come up with a health program. She did it sort of in secret with experts. Uh, it was a, a closed room. Uh, and that came to grief. What he was trying to do, I think, was just the opposite. He was trying to let everybody right. in on the act. And the result is that the, 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 the result is kind of messy. Uh, and, but what we could be doing now, instead of tearing it down, is trying to improve it. And that may ha- actually right. happen now that Trump has finally said, in order to scare his Republican allies, uh, that he might want to deal with the Democrats and, and McConnell, too, uh, on the, uh, the health care issue. I agree. I, I think that when people, when we get caught up in what he did to call, call the dog whistle and renaming it Romney Care, it still does not negate the point that this is the plan that Obama got behind. It's the plan that he helped to massage. We call it Obamacare. People connected to him. It is a part of the legacy of Obama. And part of the dismantling trying to be done by Trump is also dismantling of this legacy. You go right. after yeah. what was his biggest achievement, which was not perfect. We understand that. But I would argue it's one of his greatest achievements. And the uh, the declaration on the part of uh, Trump and others that, that Obamacare is dying, that's a disaster, uh, I think is, is uh, unfair because <laughs> the reason why 
premiums are going up and why insurance companies are pulling out of states is yeah. because uh, Trump and the Republican Congress have created such a high degree of uncertainty about whether they're going to be get, get paid uh, right. that they're not willing to, to uh, uh, participate in the program anymore. And on the way back to the phone, I mean, we've also seen other things taking place with it that the uh, um, Memphis was under a court order to reform the juvenile justice system mm-hmm. because of the kind of racist discrimination against black young black mm-hmm. people in that city. Um, and no defense, no public mm-hmm. defender could take a case in juvenile court, so that was put into receivership. Um, and now they're making an argument, you watch what could happen here, because the new DOJ could say, okay, mm-hmm. you're no longer under consent decree from us. That's right. Right. And those kind of things, and you will not mm-hmm. see more consent decrees exactly. under the Department of Justice. Um, and I think there's, there, there are all kinds of changes that, that are really we're not paying attention to. Right. The money that would go to uh, the development of affordable housing has been cut on this yeah. new housing and urban development right. budget, which means that you cannot build mixed-use housing anymore and get tax credits so you can build that mixed-use housing. So, I mean, it's, there's, there are all these things that are happening that we're not paying yep. attention to. The devil is in the details. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there there are a lot of people. If I just could just just put this up, I think there are a number of people who are paying attention. I think what is happening, we start talking about this filter with our media. I mean, the media is doing a wonderful job of making sure we're focused on the wrong thing. I mean, because if you're following the way of any news station, you're focused on the wrong thing. There are very few stations, media outlets, that are talking about these other issues. They're there in the New York Times. Go to page two. Go to page seven. They're there in the Baltimore Sun. Go to page 11. Like, it's there if people want to find out, if people want to be aware, if they want to move past the easy target, which, and I think in so many ways, Trump is an easy target. Like, it's, you know, when I sit around with people, they can just easily critique Trump. Oh, and all the positive, how much they hate him. But when you start talking about the devil in the details, right, start talking about some of the other issues that are happening, start talking about what's happening with North Korea, what's happening with the Affordable Health Care Act, what's happening with nooses being left in public spaces in Washington, D.C., start talking about what's happening with the juvenile justice system. Those are more detailed. You can't just give kind of a blanket statement. You actually have to do the hard work to find out what's going on so you can remain informed and you can figure out what direction you want to lean in and who you want to support to get the issues passed that you believe in. Let me reopen the phones at 410-319-8888. Let's go to the Reverend Daki Napata. Daki, how you doing? Hey, brother, how are you? I, I'm very well. I, I was listening to this discussion, and whenever I listen to EAA, I think in terms of the role that Morgan and historical uh, black colleges uh, can have played should be playing and hopefully will play in the future. Uh, because those colleges in particular had these giants there, like a Dr. Benjamin Qualls, you know, a premier historian, uh, Dr. Irene Diggs, and I could go on, Perrin Mitchell, Congressman Mitchell taught there uh, as uh, sociology and the like. Uh, and there were men and women, Dr. Irene Diggs, who taught anthropology, who was the secretary of Dr. W. E. Du Bois uh, as the national conference is coming here this right. month. The point I'm making is this. When we have these types of discussions, you know, particularly coming from the base of a historical black institution, right, we ought to understand the importance that history has in looking at these things. And I'm not just talking some classical romantic history. I'm saying the fact that whether you talk about the Dred Scott decision that says a black man has no right that a white man is bound to respect, and that still is in vogue, including how black colleges are being treated. You know, and include what historical black colleges like Morgan have done to fight those type of federal uh, 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 mandates that said that we shouldn't be duplicated in our curriculum and on, on and on. So I'm saying it's the same relationship to the Trump thing, right? We who have been organizers and activists understand you never get a whole lot of everybody to do a whole lot of anything. You can get the mass momentum, and then pretty soon you have those moments of Rosa Parks or the Gascalti moments of the Epiphanies in South Africa with the Suedo or, or the South African Embassy or the things that happen in nuclear freeze. So when we talk about what's happening, I hope what we don't do is get, let those folks off by saying the Constitution of the United States, which is as thin as toilet paper, but at the same time, those, those, those clauses can apply. Equal, the man has violated every Constitution, equal protection of the law, uh, uh, tampering, uh, 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 I mean, with the Justice Department, why the investigation is involved, saying I ain't going to pay taxes, but it ain't about him. Last comment. It is about us. What are we doing? What are we doing to continue to know we're not the only ones that are actively uh, fighting against this, 
And we're the only one to see the parallels between what's happening here and in Nazi Germany. Hitler said in Mein Kampf, if you tell a lie long enough, right, that somebody will eventually believe it, and then that creates the type of hysteria and fascism and type of mean-spirited demagogic extermination of people, you know, that the world gets caught up in and, and gets sitting on its thumbs, you know. So I, I know, as you know, Mark, activism-wise, there are a lot of people doing a lot of things, and eventually you will have that gestalting moment, and people will say enough is enough, and whether it be our congressmen who can do acts of civil disobedience or our, our persons in the, in the city going to say, Madam Mayor, at what point do you give the right over to the governor to do all these things that he's doing when you, you were elected to be the mayor of Baltimore City? You know, so I just wanted to say okay. that about the historical significance of places like Morgan that gave birth to the station that you're on, and hopefully as it intensifies its role and the role of students in the community, we can continue to win. Thank you so much for the thoughts, as usual, Doc Key. Before we go, we're going to, well, that, that, I think uh, uh, underlines a point that you were making uh, during the break, which is uh, the nature of the opposition to Trump. It's not very well organized. Uh, it, it doesn't seem the Democrats don't seem to have a strategy. Uh, they haven't right. developed right. Uh, a, 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 a battle strategy to uh, uh, bring Trump to a stop. Uh, why that hasn't happened is not clear, uh, but the Democratic Party has been sort of discombobulated for some time, and uh, they need to have a few visionary leaders, uh, somebody who, who steps forward, who can unify the opposition to Trump. Which they are missing. Yes. To the phones, and then we'll go back to Dick K. Whitehead, 410-319-8888. Bill, well, Bill Ferguson, State Senator, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Hey, thank you so much for the... Uh for the for giving me a chance to ask this question, I sure. appreciate your guest comments. Um, I, there was a recent poll that I just read and have been struggling with that ninety two percent of Republicans polled nationally trust Donald Trump over CNN. And then uh, similarly in this poll, I think it was done by Mailchimp, uh, a strong majority of Republicans that are only uh, receiving news from Fox News. So I'm curious in your guest. Uh, opinion about you know how does the narrative change when the even though we have all these media sources out there there's this concentration around political ideology of news consumption that's a really good question Kate why don't you start and we'll go, yeah. go, go over to, to uh, Matt um, well, the, uh, one of the things I was just quickly doing is looking at uh, the latest polls because one of the things that just came out um, in the Charles Blow piece I was referencing earlier about the Obama obsession was talking about the number of Republicans who don't like the president. So I, you know, I'd like to talk about the polls. I guess as a separate conversation. We think about who actually likes him or who doesn't like him. But in the bigger context, talking about this massive consumption of news, whether it's real or fake or alt or in the mainstream media, People are more concerned and are consuming more news. From a communications perspective, I mean, we have found trends that people are now looking to the news as their first source. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think what we need to do with people is we need to train people how to critique the information they're taking in. I don't think we're critiquing it. We're taking it all in as real. We find the news sources we agree with and take what they say as viable without using any kind of filter to determine if what they're saying is correct if it has been judged, and if we're actually using every tool that we have to figure out what the truth is. Well, the Matt tools Christen. are there, uh, uh, the, but, the, the tool, but the problem is in the same place. It's in the Internet. Uh, you can get a lot of information over the Internet, but you can also choose your news sources, and yeah. people tend to choose the sources that uh, reinforce what reinforce they believe. believe. Um, even even uh, the surveys have shown, for example, the people who watch Fox News uh, a majority of them, disproportionate number of them, use only Fox News. It's their only source of news. Uh, and uh, I, I watch it because I go to a fitness center where one of the television sets is always <laughs> <laughs> You're trapped. <laughs> and I, I, I try to use the elliptical trainer in the other side of the room. But, but, <laughs> but some of the things they say are just astonishing. And yet uh, there are people who like to hear that stuff, <coughs> and they go to Fox News because that's where they hear it. Uh, and I suppose it's the same with with uh, liberals as well. Uh, we read the New Republic and yeah, The Nation and stuff like that. Um, but I think you're right. We, we, you know, the, the, the means are there to find out what what's accurate, and people many people are not using them. No, I, I think that we, you know, that, that I'm one of those folks who actually stopped watching a lot of television. Mm. 
I do pick what I watch, but I watch all of it, little bits, just to see what people are saying and to get a sense of, of what different media are saying about a certain specific thing. You mm-hmm. can do that with your media now, just kind of pick out the fragments you want and mm-hmm. if you want to study what they want. I, I could no longer sit and watch an entire CNN, a, a, a Fox broadcast, and I could actually don't want to sit and watch an entire Rachel Maddow broadcast either. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, and so... Um, but I think that we do. We are we we're, we're very narrow in our. We don't want ourselves challenged. Right. And I think that's a problem for all of us. I mean, I think that somebody tried to critique me on the Facebook the other day. So I was going back and forth about something. Where I get into interesting discussions there. But just because he's conservative, I don't want to hear him. I said, no, it's just the opposite. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in a conservative message. You've got to listen to it and see it. But we. But but we we're so we're so closed off. We will not take any other. Yeah. We won't take other ideas seriously Let, and right. wrestle with them. What truth is there? You know? mm-hmm. I think that's part of the training, though, Mark. I just, I just want to add, I think that, I mean, I hate to sound like, a, you know, this whole idea of being an optimist, but I think this is a brave new world when we talk about the ways in which we are consuming news on the Internet. This has never been done before. Mm-hmm. We're still trying to, and I say this because I teach it in my classes, we're still trying to first learn how to consume news on the internet, and then teach our students how to do that. How do you set up a filter? How do you determine what, what's enough? When you can go on the Facebook, you click one article, and all of a sudden everything from that perspective tends to drown out your Facebook page, where you're trying to wrestle with where the truth is. I just think that we're still trying to figure out how to navigate this source. Some people do it well, use it as a tool. I think about Trump and Twitter, but think about the thousands of sources, millions of sources that are on the internet that if you want to, you can read the same type of news every day from your perspective and not go to the same site twice. Because you can find that if that's what you're looking for. We're so, trying to figure out how to navigate this. We have about one minute left. Okay, I don't want to Closing thought, Bill. give a, a, a commercial to anybody, but I found one website that uh, that is <laughs> valuable, and that's Real Clear Politics, because they're uh, yeah, stuff covers the whole spectrum. You can you can pick and choose conservative. No, but it's, and, it's, it's really you can yeah. kind of see the arguments yeah. on the other side, right? So this has been great, Dr. Matt Crenson, Professor Emeritus, uh, Political Science at Hopkins University. Latest book, Baltimore: A Political Story. Good to have you in the house. You. Looking forward to getting on. I'm loving. I'm really loving the book, right. Dr. Thanks. K. Whitehead, uh, Associate Professor of Communication and African American Studies at Loyola University of Maryland, op-ed writer. Latest book, Letters to My Black Sons: Raising Boys in a Post-Racial America. K. and Matt, thank you both so much for thank this you. hour. Thank you so much, Steiner. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. And thank you all for calling in. It's been really great to have your thoughts in the airwaves with us today on both hours. It's been a great deal of fun.